and it leads to all sorts of complications. In this case, castration and public scandal. Big complication right there. Yes, very big. And then, of course... Or small. We don't know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> You've just... Engineer Mike is, uh, is losing control of this podcast quickly. Recorded in our Nerdhaven studios, this is Pop Medieval, your host, Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina Mack. Discussing the intersection of medieval literature and pop culture on a semi-weekly basis. And now, back to your podcast. What, Nina? What, Doc? All right, so I'm going to tell you about what might be one of the most awkward things for me to teach. I frequently have to Ooh. teach this in class, and I'm always terrified that there's going to be some kind of scandal uh, when I teach this. I have to say I have had many awkward situations where students thought that I was teaching it because I was maybe hinting at something to them and I was not. Uh, And I've had to walk back some things or express some things differently. And that is the story. I call it a story, but they're actual historical figures of Peter Abelard and Heloise. Oh, my God. just call them Abelard and Heloise. Yes. Okay. This is... This is interesting. This is one of my favorite historical stories. Uh, this is not at all awkward at all because I am your student and you are my <laughs> professor. <laughs> Dynamic is not at all um, weird or awkward at all. No, I'm, I'm joking. This is actually not awkward at all for us. Yes. No, we've talked about this so many times yeah. uh, at this point. It's It's been, its potency has been taken but for the freshman or sophomore who's hearing about this for the first time sometimes i think they wonder if i'm winking and nodding but maybe we should talk about what it is we're talking about for people who who don't know about abelard and heloise yes let us begin all right so let's let me tell you about peter abelard peter abelard was this philosopher he was born in the very 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 uh late 11th century Mm -hmm. and i guess he wasn't born very late but he he was a little older and abelard was a scholar who was really brilliant. Uh, he really did most of his writing, the important stuff, in the 12th century. Uh, so we should really think of him as a as a 12th century guy. The things that he wrote about were really controversial at the time. So he was admired, but he also seemed to have had a very confrontational and often abrasive personality with with people he thought he disagreed with. He kind of treated like they were stupid. Very French. And yes. Yeah, so he didn't, uh, he, he became very unpopular with, with certain people. And his ideas, um, probably uh, whenever I'm trying to express his ideas, I always point out that the title of probably his most famous book is Seek et Non in Latin, which means yes and no, in which he takes the ideas of older uh, scholars uh, and he points out where the answer was yes and where the answer was no. And often these answers are mutually exclusive and he doesn't try to harmonize them. So Plato uh, was really the most important uh, classical scholar uh, in the Middle Ages. Uh, He had ideas about kind of universal ideas. Uh, And then a guy named Boethius, who wrote The Constellation of Philosophy, the very, very late classical era, he writes it in a way it's not clear that he's trying to write something that's Christian, but he writes it in a way that takes Plato's ideas and makes them work for, for Christian thought. Mm -hmm. And so Boethius is really the single most important philosopher in the middle ages. And Abelard is really calling into question both Plato and Boethius's approach. Uh, So it's really revolutionary. It's important stuff, but he 
made a lot of enemies, including uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, who was probably absent Abelard, the uh, the most important, you know, church intellectual of of the day. And and I would say might have had in some ways more uh, more lasting influence just because of some things that happened later on. And also because he was less hated uh, than Peter Abelard was. If you're going to piss off anyone at that time, you probably don't want to piss off anyone high up in authority at the church, I would assume. Yeah, well, I mean, they all had authority in the church. So the problem wasn't that. I think the problem was that Bernard of Clairvaux was an earlier generation. Abelard was just this young Turk who had, it wasn't just he disagreed with them. Part of the, at that time, like philosophy is done by disputation. So these kind of public debates and his approach wasn't just to disagree, but disagree in a way that seems to have not been super respectful. I see. Which made people unhappy because at at a disputation, you expect the other party to disagree with you. Mm -hmm. That wasn't, that wouldn't be weird. Uh, The, the weird thing would be to be so dismissive of someone uh, who was such a respected thinker as Bernard of Clairvaux was. Uh, Though I would say that most of the troubles that Abelard had later in life had nothing to do with Bernard of Clairvaux. Probably not. No. So where does Heloise come in? Okay. So this is a fun story. Uh, It has little to do with philosophy. (laughs) (laughs) So Peter Abelard was what's called a peripatetic scholar. And that meant that he would walk around from city to city, travel from place to place. He became famous enough that students would gather there. Think Ted talk style, right? Where mm-hmm. people would gather uh, to, to hear these, these people. And then as he went from place to place, he'd, he'd get more and more of a gathering. Well, he decided he wanted to go to Paris and set up a school, just sort of settle permanently. And so he went there, basically the leaders of the city, a guy by the name of Fulbert, he, offered to put him up, give him free room and board. And in exchange, he would have to tutor Fulbert's niece, whose name was Heloise. Now, in the middle of all this, by the way, uh, he does end up, uh, Abelard sets up a monastery called the Paraclete, which is going to come up again. The Paraclete means comforter. It's a a title for the Holy Spirit. This is going to be important because it'll be a place that becomes important later on. So Abelard uh, is supposed to be tutoring Heloise in exchange for his room and board. Well, Heloise was, as it turns out, unbelievably brilliant herself. Quite brilliant, as a matter of fact. And she was exactly the kind of person who would attract Abelard. I think we're left to assume that she was attractive looking, uh, though the truth is there are lots of attractive looking women around. I really think the cause of their, uh, of what happens is that they were both quite brilliant and they start to have a secret affair, uh, Heloise and Abelard do, uh, which goes on for some time. And she's young. We're not sure how young. She, she says that she's young. There's some indication uh, having to do with a letter from Peter the Venerable that she might not have been quite a teenager. I take it that she was younger like a teenager, but uh, there's some conflict over that. But she gets pregnant. So there's no more hiding it at this point. It happens when um, that sort of thing goes on. Yes. And so I always try to make certain that my students understand that I am not assigning Abelard and Heloise because I'm suggesting that this would be an (laughs) awesome thing for us to do. It's a cautionary tale. Still don't understand. It is supposed to be a cautionary tale. And the caution doesn't end with her getting pregnant. So what happens next is 
uh, it would make sense. He's, he has a career in the church, but uh, the idea that a clergy cannot marry is that is what's called a discipline. It's not a, a doctrine of the church. It's a discipline. So what that, that is, that means actually if tomorrow the Pope decided that we could have polygamy, that would be not acceptable. The Pope could not do that. That would cause probably a schism in the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, if tomorrow the Pope decided, hey, priests can marry again, then they could marry again. It would be no problem. It's just a, it's just a kind of best practices. And as best practices, not marrying priests was much weaker in those days. And it kind of acts as a glass ceiling. Like if you wanted to progress in the church, you could marry. And so Fulbert's like, well, you better marry Heloise. Mm-hmm. And Abelard it apparently was willing to do it, but Heloise was not willing to do it. Heloise apparently had this sense that if they married, it would change their relationship. And she had a very submissive relationship to, to Abelard. Uh, she frequently in her letters asks him to refer to her in a Latin term that means whore. And I use that instead of prostitute because she said, because there's two different words, one, which would be a, a more, uh, engineer Mike is shaking his head at me. Uh, listen, I'm gonna one which one which should be a kind of more cleaned up word, and one which should be the more obscene, degrading word. And she says that she prefers that he calls her by the more obscene, degrading word. She thinks that their marriage will harm his career, which it will, uh, for sure. But she also thinks it's not what she wants, and she she resists getting married. There's a big back and forth, a uh, lot of drama that goes on with all this drama going on and the, the, her, their child is born and has to go live with, I think her sister. Now that I said it, not his sister. Uh, now I'm forgetting whose sister it is. Wait, wait, uh, tell everyone the name of the, their son. The child's name is Astrolabe. Oh my God. Astrolabe. Which Astrolabe is a, being the, uh, the, the old compass. Yeah. 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 Kind yeah. of like that to, to, to look at the stars yes. and get your directions according That's to the stars. Right. Yep. Yeah. And it <laughs> And it was kind of considered a high-tech device. It's a weird name in the Middle Ages to name your child Astrolabe. It's kind of like naming your child, you know, Wi-Fi or something. It's very <laughs> bizarre. Uh, anyway, that's less important because he basically falls out of history. We do have a we do have a little bit of reference to him later, but he's less important to this. Um, there's some back and forth. Finally, they're able. Uh, Fulbert's able to force a secret marriage. They secretly marry and. Because of some other complicated back and forth, Abelard puts her in um, an abbey, which is not the one that uh, that he starts, uh, another one to kind of hide her away. Fulbert starts telling everybody about the secret marriage. Not so secret anymore. Not so secret anymore. And he thinks that Abelard is trying to, he's very upset about this. He thinks Abelard's trying to deny the marriage by putting her away. And so... A uh, couple of Fulbert's men go into Abelard's home. I actually don't know if he's still living with him at this time. Pin him down and castrate him. Ow. This is why it's a cautionary tale. Yes. Uh, and just a reminder, Abelard's a real person. This is what mm-hmm. actually happens. This is not a myth. No, it's not. Abelard was already super famous. Well, you can just imagine just the unbelievable scandal that this that happened from this. And the upshot of this was that Abelard ends up getting sort of put out in Abbey of St. Denis, I think anyway, get, get put, gets put out a little bit. The boonies with, he's both uh, castrated. And also there's this scandal over him. 
And Heloise ends up staying at the Abbey uh, later on for complicated reasons that have nothing to do with this. That Abbey ends up, everyone there ends up going to the Paraclete, which uh, Abelard helps arrange, which is the Abbey that, that he created, um, though he's never there again. So there's this big scandal and all these rumors and things. Well, fast forward a few years and Abelard writes something which is called in translation, my calamitous history, where he tells his version of events. And um, a lot of people question some elements of that. I actually don't question it. I take almost everything to be factually true in that uh, simply because Heloise responds to it. And there's only one thing that she takes umbrage to everything else. She, mm-hmm. she doesn't say that was not true or you misrepresented this. Uh, and so basically what he says is, uh, he tells the story that we've just told. And he says, part of the, the, the point of it is to say, like, you know, this was a bad thing that happened to me, but ultimately it was for the good because, or I, this had to happen to me because I was going down a bad path. And ultimately this was good for me mm. that I was castrated because it led me back to a good path. But he also says he never loved Heloise. Oh, man. He was only using her. This F boy here. Yes. Well, Heloise writes him a... So that's public. Yeah. Heloise writes him a private letter where she says, you big liar. Yeah. You totally loved me and you know you did. You're just acting like you didn't. And they have a back and forth for several letters where they talk a lot about philosophy. And I mean, if you ever question, I don't know, he said Heloise is really smart too. You read her letters and you realize she was unbelievably brilliant also. But in her letters to him, she keeps saying, and by this is years later, if you want, I will run away with you now. I will mm-hmm. forsake the church. Uh, she she becomes ultimately abbess at the Paraclete. So she's leading it. And no one knows she's secretly sending these letters back to Abelard saying like, let's run away together. Let's abandon the church. Let's abandon. Let's just be together. This is when she refers to herself in these ways. She talks about uh, basically wanting to submit to him and everything. Uh, just like in a lot of dominant and submissive relationships, there's a way in which the submissive has all the real power. Uh, and this seems to have been the case. Topping here. from the bottom. Yes, because the Abelard back and forth and he keeps saying stop saying that uh finally i think it's in letter five one of the letters he's early on he says if you keep saying this then i will not write to you anymore and she responds and says okay i won't say it anymore but i'm doing it in obedience to you and in submission to you and therefore basically I am doing exactly what I wanted to do in submitting to you as your wife or actually he, she wants to be not just a wife, but be in complete submission to him. Uh, so in not saying I want to do this, I'm in fact doing it. You can't stop me. And they continue on for some time, just a, a, a long and private correspondence where they talk about philosophy and you see just how brilliant they both were. Now, all this is secret. Until uh, Abelard dies, and then he's his body is brought to the Paraclete to be buried. Years later, he, Heloise is much old, uh, younger than him. Uh, I think twenty years later, maybe Heloise died, and when she died, then these letters were discovered. And of course, people in the Middle Ages, they loved, loved, loved 
uh, adultery. They love forbidden relationships and mm-hmm. everyone just loved this. And so they were uh, ultimately buried together uh, there in the paraclete. And all this came out. Well, I don't want to call this a tragic romance because it's it has the elements of romance there, but mm-hmm. and it has the elements of tragedy there. But ultimately, it's there was really no there was no other end for Abelard and Heloise. Really, what were they going to do? His career was with the church, and she didn't have any other option for herself as a woman, and mm-hmm. even as brilliant as she was, what. What were her career paths? It's not like she could be CEO of her own company. There does. I mean, she she was very, very well respected. I mean, to be CEO of your own company yeah. in those days would have been to be Abbas. I mean, she basically yeah. is CEO of the Paraclete. It does lead to, the, to an interesting question about wisdom versus knowledge, because these are two of the most brilliant people. It is possible they are the two most brilliant people in Europe in the 12th century. Mm-hmm. This couple. And it never occurred to either of them that she might get pregnant. Like, like it does yeah. seem to beggar uh, belief. They must have obviously known that this was a, a possibility and that this was always going to end badly. Mm-hmm. So now you've you've talked about this at length in our classes before when I was in college. But what's the problem with secret marriages? Uh, one of the one of the big innovations that Christianity brings is the idea that you have to consent to your marriage. It's important that you consent to your marriage. And and this is, it seems strange to us that this would be the case, but you have to remember that marriage has traditionally, all over the world, really been considered a, a family event, right? One family is uniting with another family, and your own, that you want to do this is kind of not relevant. In the same way that, you know, when you move to a new home, your parents might want you to enjoy the new house, but you're not making the decision. They're making the decision. It'd be very much the same uh, kind of, of sense of it. And we still have this today. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have that has a marriage liturgy. But in any Christian marriage and indeed in any marriage in a culture that's been influenced by Christianity, there's this seminal moment where both the bride and the groom have to publicly state, I will or I do. They have to publicly assent. And that's a real innovation to this. So what that allows for is a secret marriage. You can secretly agree to be married to someone else and it not be publicly known, not be known to your parents, not be known to anyone. Of course, the good part of this is now you can't really be married against your will. I mean, they can pressure you, but at some point you have to at least agree to do this. But, you know, people have all sorts of relationships. Uh, mm-hmm. Also, because Christianity is against polygamy, that means you can't be married to someone else. So you had all sorts of complicated things where the church would say secret marriages are valid, but they hated them. Because what would happen would be, uh, you know, I am uh, with some girl and we pledge ourselves to one another and we say, OK, we're married to one another and that counts as a secret marriage. But then later on, I want to marry someone else. And the girl says, oh, no, he pledged he was married to me. I just like, no, I never said that. And there's no one there to gainsay whether that was true or not. Or I could literally be married. To, I could literally get married to someone else. And then a former lover come forward and say, no, he was actually secretly married to me. And the church would hold that earlier marriage to be valid. But you had to know whether it was true. We also still have that in modern 
marriage ceremonies. The moment where, you know, someone says, if anyone knows any reason that this uh, couple shouldn't be joined in the movies, that's always about, oh, I love her. You know, in truth, if someone says, you know, if you're to rush in. She's already married. He's already married. Yeah. Right. If, right. It's about you're supposed to either say, no, they're actually already secretly married to someone else or, hey, they're first cousins. They're not supposed to get married or whatever. There's some barrier that way. Not I love so and so. And so here we see one of the problems with the secret marriage, right? Which mm-hmm. is these are uh, both Philbert and Abelard are super famous. Heloise, I don't know how famous she was at this time. She was to become super famous. Uh, she had a Peter the Venerable would, would come to her for counsel, that kind of thing. So that's how famous she was. But, you know, I mean, here's a super famous guy who's has a secret marriage to another super famous guy's ward. And it leads to all sorts of complications. In this case, castration and public scandal. It's a big complication right there. Yes, very big. And then, of course. Or small. <laughs> We don't know. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> You've just, Engineer Mike is, uh, is losing control of this podcast quickly. And then, of course, you know, if you're talking peasants or, or commoners, you know, it's complicated. It creates complication. But if you're talking someone who's in the nobility, there's real important inheritance issues, mm-hmm. real important uh, issues that, you know, is this child legitimate or illegitimate? Uh, these kinds of questions that come out of that. Right. It's a big problem. Uh, and so the church keeps saying, yes, secret marriages are valid, but stop doing them. Exactly. It's a kind of another best practices thing. <laughs> it's valid, but it is not the best practice. Don't get married. But if you must get married, marry in public, not in secret. Yes, that's yeah, the idea. I see. So I want to get into recommendations and then my hot take on Heloise here, because I... There was a New York Times article called Heloise and Abelard Love Hurts. And it's an interesting article because it, it talks about the the longing and the love and the loss. You know, you, you talk about their relationship being dominant and submissive. You know, the question about whether Heloise is a, a feminist icon or whether you can look to her as being a feminist icon, which I don't like to get into those kind of questions because it's really, really hard to look back on past examples and, and apply women as, as being feminist icons because that the word feminism is so recent and the yeah. further back you go, you, you, you can't find a perfect example of that. Yeah. Um, what I can do is I can say you can find inspiration in the relationship and also find it problematic. Like, I mean, their their relationship was not good at all. I mean, he was in charge of, of taking care of her, of educating her, and then he wound up, like, sleeping with her That's and, and impregnating her and then dropping her off at an abbey, which she admittedly said, look, I'm not equipped to be part of the church. This is not what I wanted to do at all. And he's like, mm, too bad, sorry. You got to go here and hide from your uncle. So I, I think both things can exist at the same time. I, I think you can find their love story to be well you know to borrow a word that i disagree with you can find their love story to be tragic Mm -hmm. and you can find heloise to be an example of someone who is yeah she's she's kind of feminist in that she was at the top of her game at the at the time she was the smartest person she was the most brilliant at a time where women didn't have many options whatsoever she was well educated she was smart she had a lot of advantages for herself and she used them. So I, yeah. I think both things can exist at the same time. And that's, that's my hot take on it. Yeah. And I think, 
which you talk about her her brilliance. I mean, if we didn't, even if we didn't have her writing, Fulbert saying, I'm going to get the most famous scholar running around now to come be your private tutor kind of shows that mm-hmm. it was already clear that she was really, really smart. Exactly. Uh, that everyone, that, that those who knew her already knew that she was brilliant and right. she, she needed this. Yeah, I, it's a super complicated, like even if we take out the anachronistic questions about like, well, what does this term mean in the in the 12th century and that kind of thing? It's, it's just a super complicated relationship. And in the end, the one of the main cruxes of it is something which no one can ever know for certain, which is when Abelard says, I never loved you, mm, is yeah. he, did he never love her? Or is he doing the old lassie trick? No, go away, girl. Yeah. I never want to see you again. You know, see, I, it's, he thinks yeah. it's not good for her. I can tell you, whenever I teach this, my students are pretty divided on that issue. But how you interpret everything kind of depends in large part on that. Uh, but regardless, it's super complicated, their relationship. Yeah, I think the answers to that question um, lie in his philosophy, which, again, we're not pop philosophy. So we don't have to delve into that. So whatever his uh, thoughts were on that subject, we can probably go into that. Or we can say his thoughts were exactly the title of his most famous work of philosophy, Seek It Known. Yes oh, and no. Oh, there we go. Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. I have a recommendation, too, uh, which is literature but not medieval, and it is a poem. It's not very long, and uh, Engineer Mike, I think, will put a link to it in the, uh, in the episode notes page, and it's called Eloisa to Abelard, and it is a... Uh, Alexander Pope wrote a a poem, which is kind of a, an amalgam of several letters of hers in poetic form to Abelard. Uh, and the idea of it is really how torn she is by their relationship and how really the problem is that every time she tries to repent of that relationship, thinking about it causes her to desire it more and that her heart is now forever lost and she wishes that she could simply forget that they ever had a relationship. The famous line, uh, eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, uh, which then becomes uh, the title of a Jim Carrey film about someone who's trying to erase a, the memory of a relationship uh, from his own mind uh, because he thinks that that will help him. That line comes from there. And I guess the, the Jim Carrey movie, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Great what movie. Is, what, is, what is the 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 female protagonist? It's not from her perspective, but uh, oh, Kate, Kate, Winsl- Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Kate Winslet. Kate yeah. Winslet. That's right. The answer. I think the the film does suggest at the end an answer to would this solve your problems if you could forget the bad or the the difficult times of the relationship you had before. And I won't tell you how it ends uh, if you haven't seen it. Uh, I do think it's an interesting and good film. Mm-hmm. All this relates back in a kind of oblique way to this complicated relationship between Abelard and Heloise. Oh, yeah. Very much so. So rather than get castrated, they would rather lose part of their memory. Yes. Well, he gets castrated. You know, that seems like a mi- yeah. that seems like uh, Alexander Pope missed a, missed a beat where it could have been like, uh, well, you <laughs> lost something, Peter Abelard. So now I, I Heloise, want to lose something. something. Interesting. In this case, my memory. Yeah. If there's a line in there suggesting that I missed it. So. <laughs> I can see why you'd want to miss that. <laughs> yes, well, I want. I wish I could miss the whole castration. But uh, sadly, it's not a, 
you can't skip it. It's something that actually happened in history. It is, yes. Well, that was pretty good, and I'm I'm glad that's a another episode for you know a, a back to school ease the kids into <laughs> learning things. Yes. Yeah, so, if there are any students out there, uh, not just my students, but any students out there who are uh, hot for teacher, uh, keep it to yourself because uh, you can Please see do. what will what will happen uh, otherwise. Yeah. Keep it in your pants. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> or or in your prior S robes, I guess. And, and there you it. go. All right. Well, West Thu Hall, Doc. West Thu Hall, Nina. Pop and Evil was recorded under our Kansas studio. The hosts are Dr. Richard Scott Noakes and Nina McNamara. Our audio engineer is Engineer Mike. The music is courtesy of Dr. John Jinwright. For more information, visit our website at profawesome.com slash That's P-R-O-F-A-W-E-S-O-M-E dot com slash Thank you for listening.